first chronicle of new chronicles of rebecca this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org new chronicles of rebecca by kate douglas wiggin first chronicle jack-o-lantern miss miranda sawyer's old-fashioned garden was the pleasantest spot in riverboro on a sunday july morning the rich color of the brick house gleamed and glowed through the shade of the elms and maples luxuriant hop-vines clambered up the lightning-rods and water-spouts hanging their delicate clusters here and there in graceful profusion woodbine transformed the old shed and tool-house to things of beauty and the flower-beds themselves were the prettiest and most fragrant in all the countryside a row of dahlias ran directly around the garden spot dahlias scarlet gold and variegated in the very centre was a round plot where the upturned faces of a thousand pansies smiled amid their leaves and in the four corners were triangular blocks of sweet phlox over which the butterflies fluttered unceasingly in the spaces between ran a riot of portulac and nasturtiums while in the more regular shell-bordered beds grew spirea and gillyflowers, mignonette marigolds and clove pinks back of the barn and encroaching on the edge of the hayfield was a grove of sweet clover whose white feathery tips fairly bent under the assaults of the bees while banks of aromatic mint and thyme drank in the sunshine and sent it out again into the summer air warm and deliciously odorous the hollyhocks were miss sawyer's pride and they grew in a stately line beneath the four kitchen windows their tapering tips set thickly with gay satin circlets of pink or lavender or crimson they grow something like steeples thought rebecca randall who was weeding in the bed and the flat round flowers are like rosettes but steeples wouldn't be studded with rosettes so if you were writing about them in a composition you'd have to give up one or the other and i think i'll give up the steeples gay little hollyhock lifting your head sweetly rosetted out from your bed it's a pity the hollyhock isn't really little instead of steepling up to the window top but i can't say gay tall hollyhock i might have it lines to a hollyhock in may for then it would be small but oh no i forgot in may it wouldn't be blooming and it's so pretty to say that its head is sweetly rosetted i wish the teacher wasn't away she would like sweetly rosetted and she would like to hear me recite roll on thou deep and dark blue ocean roll that i learned out of aunt jane's byron the rolls come booming out of it just like the waves at the beach i could make nice compositions now because everything is so blooming and it's so warm and sunny and happy outdoors miss dearborn told me to write something in my thought book every single day and i'll begin this very night when i go to bed rebecca rowena randall the little niece of the brick house ladies and at present sojourning there for purposes of board lodging education and incidentally such discipline and chastening as might ultimately produce moral excellence rebecca randall had a passion for the rhyme and rhythm of poetry from her earliest childhood words had always been to her what dolls and toys are to other children and now at twelve she amused herself with phrases and sentences and images 
as her schoolmates played with the pieces of their dissected puzzles. If the heroine of a story took a cursory glance about her apartment, Rebecca would shortly ask her Aunt Jane to take a cursory glance at her oversewing or hemming. If the villain aided and abetted someone in committing a crime, she would before long request the pleasure of aiding and abetting in dishwashing or bed-making. Sometimes she used the borrowed phrases unconsciously. Sometimes she brought them into the conversation with an intense sense of pleasure in their harmony or appropriateness. For a beautiful word or sentence had the same effect upon her imagination as a fragrant nosegay, a strain of music, or a brilliant sunset. How are you getting on, Rebecca Rowena? called a peremptory voice from within. Pretty good, Aunt Miranda. Only I wish flowers would ever come up as thick as this pigweed and plantain and sorrel. What makes weeds be thick and flowers be thin? I just happened to be stopping to think a minute when you looked out. You think considerable more than you weed, I guess, by appearances. How many times have you peeked into that hummingbird's nest? Why don't you work all to once and play all to once, like other folks? I don't know, the child answered, confounded by the question, and still more by the apparent logic back of it. I don't know, Aunt Miranda, but when I'm working outdoors such a Saturday morning as this, the whole creation just screams at me to stop it and come and play. Well, you needn't go if it does, responded her aunt sharply. It don't scream to me when I'm rolling out these doughnuts, and it wouldn't to you if your mind was on your duty. Rebecca's little brown hands flew in and out among the weeds as she thought rebelliously. Creation wouldn't scream to Aunt Miranda. It would know she wouldn't come. Scream on, thou bright and gay creation, scream. Tis not Miranda that will hear thy cry. Oh, such funny nice things come into my head out here by myself. I do wish I could run up and put them down in my thought book before I forget them, but Aunt Miranda wouldn't like me to leave off weeding. Rebecca was weeding the hollyhock bed when wonderful thoughts came into her head. Her aunt was occupied with the rolling pin, and the thoughts of her mind were common and thin. That wouldn't do, because it's mean to Aunt Miranda, and anyway, it isn't good. I must crawl under the syringa shade a minute. It's so hot, and anybody has to stop working once in a while just to get their breath, even if they weren't making poetry. Rebecca was weeding the hollyhock bed when marvelous thoughts came into her head. Miranda was wielding the rolling pin, and thoughts at such times seemed to her as a sin. How pretty the hollyhock rosettes look from down here on the sweet, smelly ground. Let me see what will go with rosetting. Aiding and abetting, petting, hen-setting, fretting, there's nothing very nice, but I can make fretting do. Cheered by Rowena's petting, the flowers are rosetting, but Aunt Miranda's fretting doth somewhat cloud the day. Suddenly, the sound of wagon wheels broke the silence, and then a voice called out, a voice that could not wait until the feet that belonged to it reached the spot. Miss Sawyer, father's got to drive over to North Riverboro on an errand. And please, can Rebecca go too? as it's saturday morning advocation besides rebecca sprang out from under her syringa bush eyes flashing with delight as only rebecca's eyes could flash her face one luminous circle of joyous anticipation she clapped her grubby hands and dancing up and down cried may i aunt miranda can i aunt jane can i aunt miranda jane i'm more than half through the bed if you finish your weedin' tonight before sundown, I s'pose you can go, so long as Mr. Perkins has been good enough to ask you, responded Miss Sawyer reluctantly. 
take off that gingham apron and wash your hands clean at the pump you ain't been out of bed but two hours and your head looks as rough as if you'd slept in it that comes from layin on the ground same as a caterpillar smooth your hair down with your hands and perhaps emma jane can braid it as you go along the road run up and get your second best hair ribbon out of your upper drawer and put on your shade hat no you can't wear your coral chain jewelry ain't appropriate in the morning how long do you callate to be gone emma jane i don't know father's just been sent for to see about a sick woman over to north riverboro she's got to go to the poor farm this fragment of news speedily brought miss sawyer and her sister jane as well to the door which commanded a view of mr perkins in his wagon mr perkins the father of rebecca's bosom friend was primarily a blacksmith and secondarily a select man and overseer of the poor a man therefore possessed of wide and varied information who is it that's sick inquired miranda a woman over to north riverboro what's the trouble can't say stranger yes and no she's that wild daughter of old nate perry that used to live up towards moderation you remember she ran away to work in the factory at milltown and married a do-nothing fellow by the name of john winslow yes well where is he why don't he take care of her they ain't worked well in double harness they've been roving round the country living a month here and a month there wherever they could get work and house-room they quarrelled a couple of weeks ago and he left her she and the little boy kind of camped out in an old logging cabin back in the woods and she took in washing for a spell then she got terrible sick and ain't expected to live who's been nursing her inquired miss jane lizzie ann dennett that lives nearest neighbor to the cabin but i guess she's tired out being good samaritan anyways she sent word this morning that nobody can't seem to find john winslow that there ain't no relations and the town's got to be responsible so i'm going over to see how the land lays climb in rebecca you and emmy jane crowd back on the cushion and i'll set forward that's the trick now we're off dear dear sighed jane sawyer as the sisters walked back into the brick house i remember once seeing sally perry at meeting she was a handsome girl and i'm sorry she's come to grief if she'd kept on goin to meetin and hadn't looked at the men folks she might have been earnin an honest livin this minute said miranda men folks are at the bottom of everything wrong in this world she continued unconsciously reversing the verdict of history then we ought to be a happy and contented community here in riverboro replied jane as there's six women to one man if twas sixteen to one we'd be all the safer responded miranda grimly putting the doughnuts in a brown crock in the cellarway and slamming the door the perkins horse and wagon rumbled along the dusty country road and after a discreet silence maintained as long as human flesh could endure rebecca remarked sedately it's a sad errand for such a shiny morning isn't it mr perkins plenty of trouble in the world rebecky shiny mornings and all that good man replied if you want a bed to lay on a roof over your head and food to eat you've got to work for em if i hadn't a labored early and late learned my trade and denied myself when i was young i might have been a pauper layin sick in a loggin cabin stead of being an overseer of the poor and selectman driving along to take the pauper to the poor farm 
people that are mortgaged don't have to go to the poor farm, do they, Mr. Perkins? asked Rebecca, with a shiver of fear as she remembered her home farm at Sunnybrook and the debt upon it, a debt which had lain like a shadow over her childhood. Bless your soul. No, not unless they fail to pay up. But Sal Perry and her husband hadn't got fur enough along in life to be mortgaged. You have to own something before you can mortgage it. Rebecca's heart bounded as she learned that a mortgage represented a certain stage in worldly prosperity. Well, she said, sniffing the fragrance of the new mown hay and growing hopeful as she did so, Maybe the sick woman will be better such a beautiful day, and maybe the husband will come back to make it up and say he's sorry, and sweet content will reign in the humble habitation that was once the scene of poverty, grief, and despair. That's how it came out in a story I'm reading. I ain't noticed that life comes out like stories very much, responded the pessimistic blacksmith, who, as Rebecca privately thought, had read less than half a dozen books in his long and prosperous career. A drive of three or four miles brought the party to a patch of woodland where many of the tall pines had been hewn the previous winter. The roof of a ramshackle hut was outlined against a background of young birches, and a rough path, made in hauling the logs to the main road, led directly to its door. As they drew near, the figure of a woman approached. Mrs. Lizzie Ann Dennett, in a gingham dress, with a calico apron over her head, good morning mr perkins said the woman who looked tired and irritable i'm real glad you come right over for she took worse after i sent you word and she's dead dead the word struck heavily and mysteriously on the children's ears dead and their young lives just begun stretched on and on all decked like hope in living green dead and all the rest of the world reveling in strength. Dead! With all the daisies and buttercups waving in the fields, and the men heaping the mown grass into fragrant cocks, or tossing it into heavy-laden carts. Dead! With the brooks tinkling after the summer showers, and the potato and corn blossoming, the birds singing for joy, and every little insect humming and chirping, adding its note to the blithe chorus of warm, throbbing life. I was all alone with her. She passed away suddenly, just about break of day, said Lizzie Ann Dennett. Her soul passed upward to its God just at the break of day. These words came suddenly into Rebecca's mind, from a tiny chamber, where such things were wont to lie quietly until something brought them to the surface. She could not remember whether she had heard them at a funeral, or read them in the hymn-book, or made them up, out of her own head. But she was so thrilled with the idea of dying, just as the dawn was breaking, that she scarcely heard Mrs. Dennett's conversation. I sent for Aunt Beauday, and she's been here and laid her out, continued the long-suffering Lizzie Ann. She ain't got any folks and john winslow ain't never had any as far back as i can remember she belongs to your town and you have to bury her and take care of jackie that's the boy he's seventeen months old a bright little feller the image of john but i can't keep him another day i'm all wore out my own baby's sick mother's rheumatiz is extra bad and my husband's coming home tonight after his week's work. 
If he finds a son of John Winslow's under his roof, I can't say what would happen. You have to take him back with you to the poor farm. I can't take him up there this afternoon, objected Mr. Perkins. Well, then keep him or Sunday yourself. He is good as a kitten. John Winslow here sells death sooner or later, unless he is out of the state altogether. When he knows the boy is at the poor farm, I can't think he'll come and claim him. Could you please drive me to the village to see about the coffin? And would you children be afraid to stay here alone for a spell? She asked, turning to the girls. Afraid? They both echoed uncomprehendingly. Lizzie Ann and Mr. Perkins, perceiving that the fear of a dead presence had not entered the minds of Rebecca or Emma Jane, said nothing, but drove off together, counseling them not to stray far away from the cabin, and promising to be back in an hour. There was not a house within sight, either looking up or down the shady road, and the two girls stood hand in hand, watching the wagon out of sight. Then they sat down quietly under a tree, feeling all at once a nameless depression hanging over their gay summer morning spirits. It was very still in the woods, just a chirp of a grasshopper now and then, or a note of a bird, or the click of a far distant mowing machine. We're watching, whispered Emma Jane. They watch with Grandpa Perkins, and there was a great funeral and two ministers. He left two thousand dollars in the bank, and a store full of goods, and a paper thing you could cut tickets off twice a year, and they were just like money. They watched with my little sister Mira, too, said Rebecca. You remember when she died, and I went home to Sunnybrook Farm? It was winter time, but she was covered with evergreen and white pinks, and there was singing. There won't be any funeral or ministers or singing here, will there? Isn't that awful? I suppose not. And, oh, Emma Chain, no flowers, either. We might get those for her if there's nobody else to do it. Would you dare put them on her? Asked Emma Jane in a hushed voice. I don't know. I can't tell. It makes me shiver, but of course we could do it if we were the only friends she had. Let's look into the cabin first and be perfectly sure that there aren't any. Are you afraid? N no I guess not. I looked at Grandpa Perkins, and he was just the same as ever. At the door of the hut, Emma Jane's courage suddenly departed. She held back shuddering, and refused either to enter or look in. Rebecca shuddered too, but kept on drawn by an insatiable curiosity about life and death, an overmastering desire to know and feel and understand the mysteries of existence, a hunger for knowledge and experience at all hazards and at any cost. Emma Jane hurried softly away from the felt terrors of the cabin, and after two or three minutes of utter silence, Rebecca issued from the front door, her sensitive face pale and woe-begone, the ever-ready tears raining down her cheeks. She ran toward the edge of the wood, sinking down by Emma Jane's side, and covering her eyes, sobbed with excitement. Oh, Emma Jane, she hasn't got a flower, and she's so tired and sad-looking as if she'd been hurt and hurt and never had any good times, and there's a weeny-weeny baby side of her. Oh, I wish I hadn't gone in. Emma Jane blenched for an instant. Mrs. Dennett never said there were two dead ones. Isn't that dreadful? 
but she continued her practical common sense coming to the rescue you've been in once and it's all over it won't be so bad when you take in the flowers because you'll be used to it the goldenrod hasn't begun to bud so there's nothing to pick but daisies shall i make a long rope of them as i did for the schoolroom yes said rebecca wiping her eyes and still sobbing yes that's the prettiest and if we put it all round her like a frame the undertaker couldn't be so cruel as to throw it away even if she is a pauper because it will look so beautiful from what the sunday school lessons say she's only asleep now and when she wakes up she'll be in heaven there's another place said emma jane in an orthodox and sepulchral whisper as she took her ever-present ball of crochet cotton from her pocket and began to twine the white weed blossoms into a rope oh well rebecca replied with the easy theology that belonged to her temperament they simply couldn't send her down there with that little weeny baby who'd take care of it you know page six of the catechism says the only companions of the wicked after death are their father the devil and all the other evil angels it wouldn't be any place to bring up a baby whenever and wherever she wakes up i hope she won't know that the big baby is going to the poor farm i wonder where he is perhaps over to miss dennett's house she didn't seem of sorry a bit did she no but i suppose she's tired sitting up and nursing a stranger mother wasn't sorry when grandpa perkins died she couldn't be for he was cross all the time and had to be fed like a child why are you crying again rebecca oh i don't know i can't tell emma jane only i don't want to die and have no funeral or singing and nobody sorry for me i just couldn't bear it neither could i emma jane responded sympathetically but perhaps if we're real good and die young before we have to be fed they will be sorry i do wish you could write some poetry for her as you did for alice robinson's canary word only still better of course like that you read me out of your thought book i could easy enough exclaimed rebecca somewhat consoled by the idea that her rhyming faculty could be of any use in such an emergency though i don't know but it would be kind of bold to do it i'm all puzzled about how people get to heaven after they're buried i can't understand it a bit but if the poetry is on her what if that should go too and how could i write anything good enough to be read aloud in heaven a little piece of paper couldn't get to heaven it just couldn't asserted emma jane decisively it would be all blown to pieces and dried up and nobody knows that the angels can read writing anyway they must be as educated as we are and more so too agreed rebecca they must be more than just dead people or else why should they have wings but i'll go off and write something while you finish the rope it's lucky you brought your crochet cotton and i my lead pencil in fifteen or twenty minutes she returned with some lines written on a scrap of brown wrapping paper standing soberly by emma jane she said preparing to read them out loud they're not good i was afraid your father'd come back before i finished and the first verse sounds exactly like the funeral hymns in the church book i couldn't call her sally winslow it didn't seem nice when i didn't know her and she is dead so i thought if i said friend it would show she had somebody to be sorry <clears throat> this friend of ours has died and gone from us to heaven to live if she has sinned against thee lord we pray thee lord forgive her husband runneth far away and knoweth not she's dead oh bring him back ere tis too late to mourn beside her bed and if perchance it can't be so be to the children kind the weeny one that goes with her, the other left behind. 
I think that's perfectly elegant, exclaimed Emma Jane, kissing Rebecca fervently. You're the smartest girl in the whole state of Maine, and it sounds like a minister's prayer. I wish we could save up and buy a printing machine. Then I could learn to print what you write, and we'd be partners, like Father and Bill Moses. Shall you sign it with your name like we do on our school compositions? No, said Rebecca soberly. I certainly shan't sign it, not knowing where it's going or who'll read it. I shall just hide it in the flowers, and whoever finds it will guess that there wasn't any minister, or singing, or gravestone, or anything, so somebody just did the best they could. The tired mother, with the weeny baby on her arm, lay on a long carpenter's bench, her earthly journey over, and when Rebecca stole in and placed the flowerly garland all along the edge of the rude bier, death suddenly took on a more gracious and benign aspect. It was only a child's sympathy and intuition that softened the rigors of the sad moment, but poor wild Sal Winslow, in her frame of daisies, looked as if she were missed a little by an unfriendly world, while the weeny baby, whose heart had fallen asleep almost as soon as it had learned to beat, the weeny baby, with Emma Jane's nosegay of buttercups in its tiny wrinkled hand, smiled as if it might have been loved and longed for and mourned. We've done all we can now without a minister, whispered Rebecca. We could sing God is Ever Good out of the Sunday school songbook, but I'm afraid somebody would hear us and think we were gay and happy. What's that? A strange sound broke the stillness. A gurgle, a yawn, a merry little call. The two girls ran in the direction from which it came, and there, on an old coat, in a clump of goldenrod bushes, lay a child just waking from a refreshing nap. It's the other baby that Lizzie Ann Dennett told about, cried Emma Jane. Isn't he beautiful? exclaimed Rebecca. Come straight to me. And she stretched out her arms. The child struggled to its feet and tottered, wavering, toward the warm and welcome of the voice and eyes. Rebecca was all mother, and her maternal instincts had been well developed in a large family in which she was next to the eldest. She had always confessed that there were perhaps a trifle too many babies at Sunnybrook Farm, but nevertheless, had she ever heard it, she would have stood loyally by the Japanese proverb, whether brought forth upon the mountain or in the field, it matters nothing. More than a treasure of one thousand rio, a baby precious is. You darling thing, she crooned as she caught and lifted the child. You look just like a jack-o'-lantern. The boy was clad in a yellow cotton dress, very full and stiff. His hair was of such a bright gold, and so sleek and shiny, that he looked like a fair, smooth little pumpkin. He had wide blue eyes full of laughter, a neat little vertical nose, a neat little horizontal mouth, with his few neat little teeth showing very plainly, and on the whole, Rebecca's figure of speech was not so wide off the mark. Oh, Emma Jane, isn't he too lovely to go to the poor farm? If only we were married, we could keep him and say nothing, and nobody would know the difference. Now that the Simpsons have gone away, there isn't a single baby in Riverboro, and only one in Edgewood. It's a perfect shame, but I can't do anything. You remember that Aunt Miranda wouldn't let me have the Simpson baby when I wanted to borrow her just for one rainy Sunday. My mother won't keep him, so it's no use to ask her. She says most every day she's glad we're grown up. 
and she thanks the lord there wasn't but two of us and mrs peter meserve is too nervous rebecca went on taking the village houses in turn and mrs robinson is too neat people don't seem to like any but their own babies observed emma jane well i can't understand it rebecca answered a baby's a baby i should think whosoever it is miss dearborn is coming back monday i wonder if she'd like it she has nothing to do out of school and we could borrow it all the time i don't think it would seem very genteel for a young lady like miss dearborn who boards round to take a baby from place to place objected emma jane perhaps not agreed rebecca despondently but i think if we haven't got any any private babies in riverboro we ought to have one for the town and all have a share in it we've got a town hall and a town lamp post and a town watering trough things are so uneven one house like mine at sunnybrook brimful of children and the very next one empty the only way to fix them right would be to let all the babies that ever are belong to all the grown-up people that ever are just divide them up you know if they'd go round oh i have a thought don't you believe aunt sarah cobb would keep him she carries flowers to the graveyard every little while when once she took me with her there's a marble cross and it says sacred to the memory of sarah ellen beloved child of sarah and jeremiah cobb aged seventeen months why that's another reason mrs dennett says this one is seventeen months there's five of us left at the farm without me but if we were only nearer to riverboro how quick mother would let in one more we might see what father thinks and that would settle it said emma jane father doesn't think very sudden but he thinks awful strong if we don't bother him and find a place ourselves for the baby perhaps he'll be willing he's coming now i hear the wheels lizzie ann dennett volunteered to stay and perform the last rites with the undertaker and jack-o'-lantern with a slender wardrobe tied in a bandana handkerchief was lifted into the wagon by the reluctant mr perkins and jubilantly held by rebecca in her lap mr perkins drove off as speedily as possible being heartily sick of the whole affair and thinking wisely that the little girls had already seen and heard more than enough of the seamy side of life that morning discussion concerning jack-o'-lantern's future was prudently deferred for a quarter of an hour and then mr perkins was mercilessly pelted with arguments against the choice of the poor farm as a place of residence for a baby his father is sure to come back some time mr perkins urged rebecca he couldn't leave this beautiful thing forever and if emma jane and i can persuade mrs cobb to keep him a little while would you care no on reflection mr perkins did not care he merely wanted a quiet life and enough time left over from the public service to attend to his blacksmith shop so instead of going home over the same road by which they came he crossed the bridge into edgewood and dropped the children at the long lane which led to the cobb house mrs cobb aunt sarah to the whole village sat by the window looking for uncle jerry who would soon be seen driving the noon stage to the post office over the hill she always had an eye out for rebecca too for ever since the child had been a passenger on mr cobb's stagecoach making the eventful trip from her home farm to the brick house in riverboro in his company she had been a constant visitor and the joy of the quiet household emma jane too was a well-known figure in the lane but the strange baby was in the nature of a surprise a surprise somewhat mollified by the fact that rebecca was a dramatic personage and more liable to appear in conjunction with curious outriders comrades and retainers 
than the ordinary Riverboro child. She had run away from the too stern discipline of the brick house on one occasion, and had been persuaded to return by Uncle Jerry. She had escorted a wandering organ grinder to the door, and begged a lodging for him on a rainy night. So on the whole, there was nothing amazing about the coming procession. The little party toiled up to the hospitable door, and Mrs. Cobb came out to meet them. Rebecca was the spokesman. Emma Jane's talent did not lie in eloquent speech. But it would have been a valiant and fluent child indeed, who could have usurped Rebecca's privileges and tendencies in this direction, language being her native element, and words of assorted sizes springing spontaneously to her lips. "'Aunt Sarah, dear,' she said, plumping jack-o'-lantern down in the grass as she pulled his dress over his feet and smoothed his hair becomingly. "'Will you please not say a word till I get through, as it's very important you should know everything before you answer yes or no? This is a baby named Jackie Winslow, and I think he looks like a jack-o'-lantern. His mother has just died over to North Riverboro, all alone, excepting for Mrs. Lizzie Ann Dennett, and there was another little weenie baby that died with her, and Emma Jane and I put flowers around them and did the best we could. The father, that's John Winslow, quarreled with the mother, that was Sal Perry on the Moderation Road, and ran away and left her so he doesn't know his wife and the weenie baby are dead and the town has got to bury them because they can't find the father right off quick and jackie has got to go to the poor farm this afternoon and it seems an awful shame to take him up to that lonesome place with those old people that can't amuse him and if emma jane and alice robinson and i take most all the care of him we thought perhaps you and uncle jerry would keep him just for a little while you've got a cow and a turnip bedstead you know she hurried on insinuatingly and there's hardly any pleasure as cheap as more babies where there's ever been any before for baby carriages and trundle beds and cradles don't wear out and there's always clothes left over from the old baby to begin the new one on of course we can collect enough things to start jackie so he won't be much trouble or expense and anyway he's past the most troublesome age and you won't have to be up nights with him and he isn't afraid of anybody or anything as you can see by his just sitting there laughing and sucking his thumb though he doesn't know what's going to become of him and he's just seventeen months old like dear little sarah ellen in the graveyard and we thought we ought to give you the refusal of him before he goes to the poor farm and what do you think about it because it's near my dinner time and aunt miranda will keep me in the whole afternoon if i'm late and i've got to finish weeding the hollyhock bed before sundown mrs cobb had enjoyed a considerable period of reflection during this monologue and jackie had not used the time unwisely offering several unconscious arguments and suggestions to the matter under discussion lurching over on the greensward and writing himself with a chuckle, kicking his bare feet about in delight at the sunshine, and groping for his toes with arms too short to reach them, the movement involving an entire upsetting of equilibrium, followed by more chuckles. Coming down the last of the stone steps, Sarah Ellen's mother regarded the baby with interest and sympathy. Poor little mite, she said, that doesn't know what he's lost and what's going to happen to him. Seems to me we might keep him a spell, till we're sure his father's deserted him for good. Want to come to Aunt Sarah, baby? Jack-o'-lantern turned from Rebecca and Emma Jane and regarded the kind face gravely. Then he held out both his hands, and Mrs. Cobb, stooping, gathered him like a harvest. Being lifted into her arms, he at once tore her spectacles from her nose and laughed aloud. Taking them from him gently, she put them on again, and set him in a cushioned rocking chair under the lilac bushes beside the steps. Then she took one of his soft hands in hers and patted it, 
and fluttered her fingers like birds before his eyes and snapped them like castanets remembering all the arts she had lavished upon sarah ellen aged seventeen months years and years ago motherless baby and babyless mother bring them together and love one another rebecca knew nothing of this couplet but she saw clearly enough that her case was won the boy must be hungry when was he fed last asked mrs cobb just stay a second longer while i get him some morning's milk then you run home to your dinners and i'll speak to mr cobb this afternoon of course we can keep the baby for a week or two till we see what happens land he ain't going to be any more trouble than a wax doll i guess he ain't been used to much attention and that kind's always the easiest to take care of at six o'clock that evening rebecca and emma jane flew up the hill and down the lane again waving their hands to the dear old couple who were waiting for them in the usual place the back piazza where they had sat so many summers in a blessed companionship never marred by an unloving word where's jackie called rebecca breathlessly her voice always outrunning her feet go up to my chamber both of you if you want to see smiled mrs cobb only don't wake him up the girls went softly up the stairs into aunt sarah's room there in the turn-up bedstead that had been so long empty slept jack-o'-lantern in blissful unconsciousness of the doom he had so lately escaped his nightgown and pillowcase were clean and fragrant with lavender but they were both as yellow as saffron for they had belonged to sarah ellen i wish his mother could see him whispered emma jane you can't tell it's all puzzly about heaven and perhaps she does said rebecca as they turned reluctantly from the fascinating scene and stole down to the piazza it was a beautiful and happy summer that year and every day it was filled with blissful plays and still more blissful duties on the monday after jack-o'-lantern's arrival in edgewood rebecca founded the riverboro ants association the ants were rebecca emma jane alice robinson and minnie smelly and each of the first three promised to labor for and amuse the visiting baby for two days a week minnie smelly who lived some distance from the cops making herself responsible for saturday afternoons minnie smelly was not a general favorite among the riverboro girls and it was only in an unprecedented burst of magnanimity that they admitted her into the rites of fellowship rebecca hugging herself secretly at the thought that as minnie gave only the leisure time of one day a week she could not be called a full aunt there had been long and bitter feuds between the two children during rebecca's first summer in riverboro but since mrs smelly had told her daughter that one more quarrel would invite a punishment so terrible that it could only be hinted at vaguely and miss miranda sawyer had remarked that any niece of hers who couldn't get along peaceably with the neighbors had better go back to the seclusion of a farm where there weren't any hostilities had been veiled and a suave and diplomatic relationship had replaced the former one which had been wholly primitive direct and barbaric still whenever minnie smelly flaxen-haired pink-nosed and ferret-eyed indulged in fluent conversation rebecca remembering the old fairy story could always see toads hopping out of her mouth it was really very unpleasant because minnie could never see them herself and what was more amazing 
Emma Jane perceived nothing of the sort, being almost as blind, too, to the diamonds that fell continually from Rebecca's lips. But Emma Jane's strong point was not her imagination. A shaky perambulator was found in Mrs. Perkins' wonderful attic. Shoes and stockings were furnished by Mrs. Robinson. Miss Jane Sawyer knitted a blanket and some shirts. Thurza Meserve, though too young for an aunt, coaxed from her mother some dresses and nightgowns, and was presented with a green paper certificate allowing her to wheel Jackie up and down the road for an hour under the superintendence of a full aunt. Each girl, under the constitution of the association, could call Jackie hers for two days in the week, and great, though friendly, was the rivalry between them, as they washed, ironed, and sewed for their adored nephew. If Mrs. Cobb had not been the most amiable woman in the world, she might have had difficulty in managing the ants, but she always had Jackie to herself the earlier part of the day and after dusk at night. Meanwhile, Jack-o'-lantern grew healthier and heartier and jollier as the week slipped away. Uncle Jerry joined the little company of worshippers and slaves, and one fear alone stirred in all their hearts. Not, as a sensible and practical person might imagine, the fear that the recreant father might never return to claim his child, but on the contrary, that he might do so. October came at length with its cheery days and frosty nights, its glory of crimson leaves and its golden harvest of pumpkins and ripened corn. Rebecca had been down by the Edgewood side of the river and had come up across the pastures for a good night play with Jackie. Her literary labors had been somewhat interrupted by the joys and responsibility of vice-motherhood, and the thought-book was less frequently drawn from its hiding-place under the old haymow in the barn chamber. Mrs. Cobb stood behind the screen door with her face pressed against the wire netting, and Rebecca could see that she was wiping her eyes. All at once the child's heart gave one prophetic throb, and then stood still. She was like a harp that vibrated with every wind of emotion, whether from another's grief or from her own. She looked down the lane, around the curve of the stone wall, red with woodbine, the lane that would meet the stage road to the station. There, just mounting the crown of the hill, and about to disappear on the other side, strode a stranger man, big and tall, with a crop of reddish curly hair showing from under his straw hat. A woman walked by his side, and perched on his shoulder, wearing his most radiant and triumphant mien, as joyous in leaving Edgewood as he had been during every hour of his sojourn there, rode Jack-o'-lantern. Rebecca gave a cry in which maternal longing and helpless, hopeless jealousy strove for supremacy. Then, with an impetuous movement, she started to run after the disappearing trio. Mrs. Cobb opened the door hastily, calling after her. Rebecca! Rebecca, come back here! You mustn't follow where you haven't any right to go. If there'd been anything to say or do, I'd have done it. He's mine! He's mine! Stormed Rebecca. At least he's yours and mine. He's his father's, first of all. Faltered Mrs. Cobb. Don't let's forget that. 
and we'd ought to be glad and grateful that John Winslow's come to his senses and remembers he's brought a child into the world and ought to take care of it. Our loss is his gain, and it may make a man of him. Come in, and we'll put things away all neat before your Uncle Jerry gets home. Rebecca sank in a pitiful little heap on Mrs. Cobb's bedroom floor and sobbed her heart out. Oh, Aunt Sarah, where shall we get another jack-o'-lantern, and how shall I break it to Emma Jane? What if his father doesn't love him, and what if he forgets to strain the milk or lets him go without his nap? That's the worst of babies that aren't private. You have to part with them sooner or later. Sometimes you have to part with your own, too, said Mrs. Cobb sadly. And though there were lines of sadness in her face, there was neither rebellion nor repining, as she folded up the sides of the turn-up bedstead preparatory to banishing it a second time to the attic i shall miss sarah ellen now more than ever still rebecca we mustn't feel to complain it's the lord that giveth and the lord that taketh away blessed be the name of the lord end of the first chronicle